Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio. And you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Everyone at some level desires to be loved and respected. And I get that. I'm no different. But most importantly for me is I want to be able to live my life authentically. And be all that I am or any part of me that I choose to share at a moment's notice, at my own discretion, and on my own terms. This is a freedom that I hold very dear. I'm proud to say that there's a lot more to me than what's portrayed in my online profiles and not the other way around. And I'm happy to report that many of you can say the same. We all have a role to play in this vast experiment we refer to as social media. Many of you are feeling the pressure or burden of public life because of the up-close and personal interactions of your followings, who somehow are under the illusion 
that they are your closest friends and therefore have the right to say and share comments and opinions that should never be part of the written timeline of your social media interactions. Every post, tweet, Instagram, or YouTube video is a gamble. And it's a process once initiated that can at any given moment spiral hopelessly out of control. But it's your choice to participate and at your discretion as to how far down the rabbit hole you choose to venture. But at all costs, don't let yourself be consumed because you failed to think it through. Social media has a life of its own after the post. What you meant for good could very well get lost in translation in the blogosphere. Many of us have been able to amass huge followings, and that in of itself is a great achievement. But this was never my goal. To be honest, I care far less about my image and what people may say or think about me than I do about being true to my purpose. To provide words of wisdom an encouragement to a listening ear, or providing a platform for a voice that needs to be heard. Some of you have become a slave to your phone, responding to every chirp, buzz, or notification like a puppet waiting for your master's next command, while in the meantime, while you busy yourself with your prompt reply or trendy hashtag, life is happening all around you without your valuable input while you sit on the bench waiting for the balance to shift in your favor. Life is happening right here and now. But if you're not present and in the moment, are you really living? Stop living your life in snippets that you hope to share more than you hope to live to the fullest. What's my point? Well, I'm not looking to prove anything to you as much as I would like to share with you a pathway to release some of the burdens that you've attached to yourself. Live your life unbound and fully aware of the potential around and within you. There is a path to navigate through the madness and see a way clear to the light at the end of the tunnel. Have I fully divested myself from this manic behavior? No. But I have refused to allow social media to get a stranglehold on me. And the reason that I believe that I have been successful is because that I've not allowed these interactions to take priority over God, family, friends, and real life experiences. Most of all, I've not allowed the desire to be popular or liked change who I am in an attempt to hide my flaws and only show my most favorable side to promote a stellar brand identity. Let me ask a question. Does 500 likes on Facebook mean that anyone really likes you? Don't be fooled. I would much rather just be real. There's no pressure in just being yourself. Although I have put myself in the position to offer both the professional and the personal side of my life, 
It does not mean that I'm willing or even capable of being shaped or molded into the person that you would have me to be. This is what I know. No matter how precise your measurements, I will never fit into the box you have for me. When it's all said and done, if you can't go out into the real world without feeling the pressure to be restricted to just one facet of who you are all the time, maybe you're doing it all wrong. I'm no expert, but I am who I am 100% of the time. And I don't feel pressure to be anyone else or just show a portion of who I am to fit in and not stand out. If you're afraid to be yourself, you need to sit back and think it through and figure out what it is you're truly afraid of. Just be honest with yourself. That's the first step to remove the mask that would hide your true identity. No matter what people might say, there's really only one measure of who you are, and that is a measure of truth. Dr. Sharon is a distinguished clinical psychologist, life coach, public speaker, hypnotherapist, and author. She has extensive experience as a marriage and family therapist, clinical social worker, corporate trainer, corporate development manager, and career counselor. In these diverse capacities, Dr. Sharon has worked with a wide range of populations, from inner-city teenage parents to CEOs of major corporations. She has helped people from all over the country increase happiness and success in both their personal and professional lives with her unique and proven self-coaching methods. Dr. Sharon is also a successful advice columnist and has contributed to numerous magazines, newspapers, and Internet sites, including LifetimeTV.com, Real Simple Magazine, Family Circle Magazine, Men's Health Magazine, and Parents Magazine. She also appeared on The Montel Williams Show and Glenn Beck Show on CNN. Dr. Sharon, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Hi, Michael. So nice to be here. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you on. I'm really excited about this show. And, um, you know, Donna and I have been going back and forth, our producer, and she has just been telling me so many exciting things about you and just really getting me ramped up about just having you on and sharing with the world your many, many gifts and talents. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to sharing that tonight. All right, very good. You know, um, it was an interesting story that she told me that you had shared with her because apparently you guys have become buddies, you know. <laughs> You've been we back and forth with a we few We really have. <laughs> <laughs> We've become very good friends. <laughs> great, great. And um, one of the things, we want to just go through some of your life experiences that have brought you to where you are. Now, you're on the speakerphone, aren't you? Because I hear yeah. the echo. Oh, no, I'm not on the speakerphone. Oh, wow. Do you want I me to be on the speakerphone? No, I don't. No. I don't. I heard of, um, an echo. I thought it was coming from you. But um, no. there was a story that um, Donna had mentioned that you had uh, an epiphany at just age six. So tell us yes. a little bit about your childhood and, and who you were as a young person, and then go right into that story for us. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in um, Brooklyn, New York. And um, I lived in an apartment building, and I remember at six years old looking outside my window and looking at a playground 
that was always um, the vision that I had outside my bedroom window. And it was a gray day, and black and white day. And I remember looking out, and I, I felt a little sad inside. It was a dreary day. And I remember the next day waking up and seeing the same vision, but in color. The sky was blue, the, the sun was bright, the flowers were blooming. And that day, I had a, a, a vision that God actually came towards me and, and a voice said to me, this is the way you should see life, through colored rainbows. Mm. And that there's no way to see life the other way. And from that day on, I actually always had a very positive way of looking at even the most, I would say, dramatic obstacles in my life. Mm. And I shared with Donna the idea that at this point in my life, my quest, my personal quest, is to share that vision with others and to really do it because I want to spread happiness to people in the world. My quest is to share the ability to get up, get happy, to give people about how to make a difference in their day mm. and to bring happiness to them and to others around them. Now, you have lots of experience with people who are struggling with um, how to be happy with depression and some so many other um, mental ills. Um, tell us some of the simple steps. What is it that people should say to themselves once they have gotten to a point where they're not really joyful and not feeling um, fulfilled in their lives? When should they actually um, start to look at doing something about it? What are some of the signs that people should really say to, you know, this is probably not normal for me? Well, if you're feeling like, to give you an example, if you're feeling depressed, most signs would be sleeping too much or not sleeping enough, signs of the lack of appetite or overeating, mm. not enjoying things you previously enjoyed, not isolating yourself more, also trying to not be social as much as you did before, having a hard time even getting up in the morning. That would be a major, major signs of depression. But the other coin is also anxiety. Mm -hmm. Anxiety with this rush of feeling that you, a nervousness, inability to do things you also previously couldn't do, um, getting stuck, feeling like you can't concentrate, uh, feeling that you cannot... Uh, you're distracted easily, not being able to focus on anything, getting things done, feeling an, uh, maybe even a sense of panic, and also having physiological signs such as heart rate racing or s excessive sweating, and even inability to sleep caused by anxiety. Those are two major illnesses, um, and I say mental illnesses, you can have degrees of the two that I mentioned, that if you start seeing those kind of signs, you really want to seek help. And it may, you may have a, just some of them, but you may want to start doing it, or you may start want to, uh, doing things for yourself 
first before you seek help, depending on how, you know, how you perceive it. If it's too, you know, if you have more than three to five symptoms in each category, obviously you should seek help. But there are ways to also deal with it um, individually on your own. Yeah, and um, when you're when you're trying to, because a lot of people would would say, yeah, it's it's something I go through. Everybody gets depressed, but you know, I work myself out of it. I do this, that, and the other. When do you know when you're not um, progressing through the process? You're not coming out of it. When do you really know that um, it's time to really seek some help? Well, if you start implementing things such as a healthy exercise. Um, pattern every day or I'd say at least three to five days a week and you're eating healthy and you're also participating in prayer or meditation, uh, some sort of spiritual enlightenment and you're getting the physical activity, you're eating right and you still feel um, that you just can't get out of the funk. You just can't get out of bed or you're not eating right, you're just, and the things you're doing are not working, it's time to get professional help. That would be the time. Now, tell us the difference, because um, we sometimes, I think, when we hear in the media things about um, people's state of mind or state of being, um, when when tragic things happen, just like the um, recent school shooting, you know, we hear some things that Sometimes is information that's sort of mixed in to the story that may not necessarily apply. Can, can you give us a better idea of the the psychology of someone who gets to a point where nothing matters anymore, not even their own life is much less than anyone else's? I think that before somebody gets to that point, it's very important to recognize the, that you need to seek help. By the time you're getting to the point where nothing else matters, you're talking about that you're potentially a danger to yourself or to others because of that thought process. If you do have that thought process, don't be afraid to go and seek help. Um, Call a help hotline or going to a clinic for help is there's nothing to be ashamed of because if we get to the point where we're actually saying, I don't care anymore, you've already passed the threshold of trying to get yourself out of a funk. Mm. Wow. Now, if if a person um, does want to call, say, for instance, they found uh, these types of help online, these telephone numbers, these, um, you know, suicide prevention lines or whatever type of line it might be, are, generally speaking, are people, um, do they have to tell who they are, or they can be are anonymous. they identified? It can be anonymous? No. Yes, okay. they can be anonymous. Um, it, they will talk to you. They will assess the situation, how if you are thinking about hurting yourself, if you have a weapon with you, if you have pills, access to pills. They will go through a whole myriad of questions for you to really mm. make sure that you're safe. And at one point or another, if they feel that you aren't, they will. They are trained to deal with crises like this. They will either contact the local police if they feel that at that moment you will really do something. They're there for your safety, but it is anonymous. 
um, and they actually ask that you speak to them and not identify yourself if you don't want to. However, if they ask a series of questions and they really feel that you're at high risk, it would be wise to give them your information so that you can get the help that you need. There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, What you need to be afraid of is when you get to the point when you feel so hopeless and helpless and you can't get out of it and you feel like you may hurt yourself or someone else, you're in danger. And it's more important to seek the help that you need rather than worry about your identity. Mm, Absolutely. Now, it it seems to us that, you know, there's a lot more things going on where people seem to just be acting in a way that is um, more of a sign of of the times as opposed to um, what we've heard before as far as some of these things like mass shootings and the violence that has been going on. Are, Are these things just overblown by the media or is it actually more of that going on now? I think that it's a, a little bit of both. I mm. think the media, I think the media definitely sensationalizes these types of things. It's part of what the media does. Mm-hmm. But I also think that we live in a world where we are under so much stress on a daily basis. The stresses that we have weren't there like 50 years ago or 30 years ago. They just didn't exist. Technology could be a great thing, but Technology and isolation from using uh, media vehicles and, like you said um, earlier, you spoke about the social media. There's more bullying. There's an inability to communicate directly with each other. Mm -hmm. And the isolation of using social media to communicate or texting, tweeting, all those types of things also can lead to people feeling more isolated. And even though you're connecting, you're really not connecting. You are, but it's through a vehicle where you're not seeing the person, you're not hearing them. It's very easy to get lost in a text where you don't understand the feelings of the other person. You may be also hurting that other person, and you have no idea because you're not seeing them face-to-face. So... I believe that the stresses of technology, it could be wonderful technology, but I also believe that the stresses in our lives to compete, the stresses in our lives to be better than the next, to uh, want more, to uh, have our lives complicated with economic uh, and social obligations that really don't allow people to just relax on the front porch or play ball in the front yard. Those things are not going on where everybody's running here and running there, including myself. I mean, we all are victims of that. You know, what happened to good old playing a game with your family at home? It probably doesn't exist in most homes. So we live in a much more complicated time, and that requires a lot of work on our part on not becoming so stressed, and that's not easy. That's very difficult. So, yes, the media sensationalizes more stories about domestic violence, 
uh, corporal punishment, uh, obviously shootings, but at the same time, our lives have become extremely more complicated, which contribute to this as well. Now, I know you have some thoughts on corporal punishment as well, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to go ahead and to um, delve into that. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what your stance is on that as well as um, any other things that you think might be somehow overlooked in how the media portrays situations such as this. Well, you know, I think what we neglect to see is that in the past, corporal punishment where we um, there's inflicting of some kind of punishment that's physical without really directly uh, causing great pain for the sake of punishment. And, um, you know, when you look at maybe even 30 years ago, we didn't know, we didn't have the research to prove that how dramatically aggressive we are behaving and mm-hmm. what we're modeling for our kids and the outcome of the corporal punishment. We didn't have that knowledge back then, but we do now. And as a result of this ability to research what are the outcomes from corporal punishment, does it work? And studying learned behavior, we learn that people that are actually hit are more or less people that are going to continue to hit. It's it, it, It's been shown that if you are a victim of domestic abuse, for instance, very often you observed it. If you're a victim of corporal punishment, often you received corporal punishment. So it's intergenerational, um, and it, it pairs through many chains among several generations. But the thing is that we know that now that Corporal punishment, studies have shown that it increases aggression in, in the child. It causes, it can cause mental health problems, even delinquency and antisocial behavior. And it may be linked to dysfunctional approaches to discipline throughout generations, as I discussed. And we also know that as a role model to our children, what are we modeling for them? We now know that Corporal punishment doesn't necessarily result in what we expect. It doesn't necessarily mean that your child is going to listen just because you spanked them. We know that now. It actually is ineffective. And the children that are victims of corporal punishment are often the ones that become bulliers because of their victimization. There are some who would say, and, and I, for one, would be one of those persons, there, there's a way to punish a child, even with using corporate punishment, that is not um, something that would um, impact them that way. I think if a parent spanks a child and that parent is angry, there is an opportunity for them to go well overboard. But Absolutely. if it is something that's simple and it's quick and it's to make a point, and it gets the child's attention, I think it could be very effective. The 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 complicated and the hard part is is just the restraint part. And one That's of the right. things you 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 may mention of is the fact that under the type of mental duress the average parent is under, can they be effective? Stop? And yeah, exactly. And and I can understand your point there, but I know a lot of 
people who have, I mean, that was the way I was raised. And I think it, it, it made me a better person. I, I have to admit. Um, but it didn't necessarily mean that I was going to raise my child the same way. You understand? Which, exactly. Cause you know better now. It's not that I know better. I just think that there are other things that are just as effective as a, as a means adds, of punishment, but it doesn't necessarily, right. yeah. But I think that, it, you know, sometimes you can do a number of different things. Um, if a child is at the corner and runs out into the street ahead of you and was not holding your hand, I think that child deserves a swat in the butt. <laughs> That's just my opinion. I can understand that one, and, yeah. and or grabbing their arm real fast, you know, just saying, "Hey, you know," right? It's exactly. at that moment. But, but if you then go on and you yes. start really screaming and getting very violent, you Absolutely. can run into abuse. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen where it started off as something that, you know, I, I think is very similar to what my own parents would have done. But then it got to the point where I, I you know, I'm pulling my phone out. I'm like, oh, my God. Right. But, you know, th- these are the things that have happened. Um, and, you know, this is a big debate that's going on now. And uh, I think it's going to be one that will continue for quite some time. But um, tell us a little bit about um, your new book, um, New Parents Are People Too, Eight Secrets to Surviving Parenthood as Individuals <laughs> and as a Couple. And I'm glad you put that there. You really have to, you know, define that. So tell us a little bit about your book and also the reason why there, um, you defined it in such a way, Individuals because- and as a Couple. Well, because I think that it's very important that people are united um, Mm -hmm. and that there are many instances where people, the hardest job you'll ever do is being a parent. It doesn't come with a manual, okay? And you're sprung on with a little one in the world, and all the books out there are all about how to raise a child, what to do, how do you diaper them, what do you do here, what do you do there. But what about the parent? When you're in good health, when you feel good about you, you're going to show that, and it's going to come through when you parent. So it's extremely important that you as an individual, that you understand how to keep yourself nourished how to keep your relationship nourished. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't, then what ends up happening is you become frustrated. And then what ends up happening is that the child feels that and it comes through. And you can't be a good parent if you don't take care of yourself right up front. So my book really focuses on the importance of, not in a selfish way, but in a very unselfish way. Because if you don't understand yourself and you don't take care of yourself, then you're not going to be an effective parent for anyone. And especially the fact that many times when there's a new child, you neglect your spouse. It's not because mm-hmm. you want to. It's it, it, it happens. It happens to all of us. We get in the rut where we're taking care of the baby, we're extremely tired, especially moms, dads are too, but especially moms. And we very often, if it's a, your stay-at-home mom, oh, you know, you may be with your baby. Some people 
are not so, so lucky to be able to have friends that have young babies. So there could be some point of isolation. There's sometimes postpartum depression. So you really, really want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and then also that the two of you are nurturing your relationship. If you're a single parent, um, then, of course, nurture yourself. Go out when you can. Ask a friend or a parent or anyone that you know that you feel comfortable leaving your child with. Don't be afraid to go on that date or to go out to the spa or take a walk on, uh, in, in, you know, around the block if you have to. Don't feel that you need to spend 100% of your time nurturing that baby because that baby will do so much better or that young child, when you're feeding yourself also. Mm, Absolutely. You know, I often tell young couples that, um, you know, before the baby comes, your marriage is your first child, you know? Absolutely. And it requires the same type of nurturing and attention that you would a child. And you have to get into that habit first before the baby comes, you know, in order to be able to sustain that through that other process. So, yeah, that, that's really good stuff. That's really true because first it's just you two. And now all of a sudden you have another human being in your life. And there may be even a little resentment sometimes because all of a sudden, you know, maybe somebody, one of you are spending more time with the baby, which is natural. But the other person may feel, oh, they're not paying attention to me. Sometimes it's I see that more with fathers where, you know, the mom's spending more time with the baby. It's only natural. And they actually become upset about it. They don't talk about it. It's important to communicate more than ever, but to nurture your relationship as well. If you want to be successful because it's only been you, the big change and it is, is all of a sudden there's another human being there. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge that, you know, it's a learning experience, but it's a challenge. But you know, there's compromise, um, there's, you know, you have to think positive, take action to try to nurture your own relationship and yourself, um, and just to to be aware of what to expect even before you have the baby. That's why I say, you know, read the book before, because it's so important, um, you know, in order to be successful, to take Look at the your own style of parenting. I have like little exercises so that people understand that, you know, how to assess what kind of style you think you are and what kind of style you want to be. But also more important, the importance of self-esteem and, and being a new parent. Um, often when we have a baby, uh, that sometimes we start feeling that we're, failing because the baby may be crying, we feel like we can't get, you know, uh, we can't do things right. Um, So you need to really uh, look at these things, what you expect of yourself, Um, be gentle on yourself, um, that there are cultural expectations, social expectations, but the most important thing is to really coach yourself to success by nurturing yourself. Now, now, most people have been raised different than their spouse. So how is it that they can meet in the middle? Um, because they have expectations of the marriage based on what they saw in their parents, and then they have expectations of how to raise a child based on 
their own family experience. So how is it that people can get to the middle and find a way to sort of merge those two? That's a great question because I devote a whole chapter on the importance of positive communication. Um, It's very important to discuss how you believe that you would like to parent your child, even ahead of time. Um, You have to be united on this because what ends up happening is that if you're not consistent, if, if a, say, for instance, if a dad was, believes that, I'm giving an example, dad believes that every time the baby cries, you have to pick the baby up, okay? Hmm. Um, and you know the baby already has been changed and fed, and babies are not different than any other, other people. They will want attention. They'll cry. Just like we want attention, we'll, we'll speak up. Well, hopefully we speak up. But babies cry. And what happens is that after a while, they'll learn. I get picked up every time I cry. It's a learned behavior. So they cry automatically. Now, some people have a philosophy that you check on your baby, make sure they're not they're dry, make sure the diapers change, make sure they ate, make sure the baby's burped. But then what? If the baby starts crying in the middle of the night and you check on all those things and he or she is still crying, One spouse may say, well, I want to go and pick up the baby and I will hold him or her till they go back to sleep. The other spouse may say, well, let let them, you know, cry a little bit in the bed unless there's something that's really, you know, if they continue more than 10 minutes, then we'll see what to do next. You need to really look at that because that can cause a situation, a turmoil situation, because you could end up having a fight over something as simple as that. So it's important to discuss what are, what are the things that they expect from what they've seen and how they would like to bring their child up. You have to strike a balance. Most of us do not understand that it's, it's compromise and balance. It's very important. It's not just about what the father wants or the mother. It's both. And I think in any good relationship, you must compromise and you must communicate how you see things and how and listen to how your mates see things and and then really come to an uh, an understanding on cooperation you'll build more trust with each other you're more likely to uh have the ability to focus on the issues at hand rather than fight and you'll also be able to be be able to be a better parent uh and prevent communication breakdown, as I call it. So I think that's really important. Your your question is so poignant because I see so many couples that come into my office and they say, oh, we're fighting more. Uh, You know, we don't understand what's going on. Part of it is just coming up with a structure, a plan of how they want to bring the baby up and being united and compromising together. Yeah. And, um, you know, I often tell people, too, um, you know, who say they're they're ready to have kids. And um, I just asked them the question, have you guys um, finished that fight yet on, you know, where are you going to set the thermostat? Exactly. That's a, <laughs> you know? that's a great question. That's a great you know? question because it's so it, true. <laughs> you got to get the basics down. Exactly. you got to get the basics down first. 
there are people that are still fighting in the, about the thermostat, for instance. And you want to bring a life into this world. And you want to think about, what you know, let's come up with a plan of how we're going to do this. And do it in a way that's the most beneficial for both of you and what's also effective for the baby. That's mm. very important because you may think it's great that, you know, to do it one way. I may think it's great another way, but then it doesn't work with your child. Every child has different temperament. Every child that you have is different. So what worked with one child may not work with the other. So you need not only to look at the equation of the two of you and figuring out a plan of how you want a parent, but also look at the temperament of your child because every child's different. You may have a colicky baby. You may have a very active toddler. That requires a different set of rules than somebody that sleeps through the night, that is easygoing baby. So what you expect and what you may plan on expecting may be very different than when it comes into play the temperament of your child. And, that's a and perfect I go over segue. that in the book. What? Yeah, I was just getting ready to say that. Children are people, too. Unlocking the uh-huh. eight secrets to family happiness. And um, interesting because, um, you know, it is a little person with a little personality. Um, they're just not That's communicating right. yet. But uh, there's so much there if you really, really, really pay attention. So tell us, um, focus on one of your eight secrets and tell us, give us a little nugget. Okay, well, in my book, Children of People 2, and actually we're coming up with a new edition for 2015, but we'll have our limited edition hardcover for a while now. But the eight secrets, well, the first really important thing is that a child, we have found that children that participate in their own life plan that are involved, now we're talking about an older child, we're talking about starting this even elementary school age, for instance. Even preschool, you can do a little bit about this, but it's really, we're talking about elementary school, so we're talking about an older, and for teens. You really want to involve them in their own life plan. And what's important and why that's important is that when you tell somebody what to do, rather than have them be involved in the outcome, you get less cooperation, you get lower uh, satisfaction, and you get less productivity. This is in the work world, for instance. And what I did is I, working in the corporate environment, I realized that supervisors that include their employees in goal setting and having them participate in how they saw the department running better were more likely to be productive, have higher self-esteem, and have higher job satisfaction. And we know that from research. And so what I did was develop parenting classes. I called them Educating Successful Parents. And I actually did these classes all around the country. And everyone said, you have to put this in a book. And what the key was, was taking those principles from the business world of leadership and helping involve the employees, in this case, involve the children in their own life plan. That doesn't mean they're running the show. That means mm. you're giving them choices. Okay, there's a big difference. You're not right. their friend. You're not. You're saying, okay, you didn't do well on this test. What are we going to do to do 
to improve this? What can we do? How can I help you come up with a certain amount of factors that we're going to work into this? Do you need tutoring? Do you need to spend another hour a day studying? Do we need to get a homework helper? Uh, Do we need to get extra resources after school? Have your child participate. Because Mm. if a child comes home and doesn't do well and you punish them and you take away their iPad or their phone, what are they really going to learn from that? Are they going to do better on the next test? Maybe they failed not because they didn't study. Maybe it's above their head. Find out. The most important thing is to work as a team. Work as a team with your child where you will say to them, how can I help you? What can we do together? And make them accountable. Sign a contract. Write it out. This is what we're going to do together. I'm going to, if you can afford it, you can get tutoring. But what if you can't? You know, there's resources in the school that where the child can stay after school and get help. And it may mean that they can't play ball after school that day. But you know what? They have to provide that commitment. And if they do and they try their best, that's what you that's all you could expect. But if you punish them because they didn't do well, and I'm only giving you one example, then they're gonna resent you. It doesn't mean they're gonna do better next time. You don't even understand why they didn't do well. And they're not learning anything. You're not nurturing anything. You're you're not even teaching them self discipline. So my eight factors, that, which, which I call the eight secrets of success, are really simple. They're actually for individuals, and then they're for working with your family. And what they, what they involve are four are within ourselves. I call them intrapersonal. It doesn't really matter what the name is, but they're all within ourselves. And that is developing the positive attitude is one of them. The second one is how to motivate yourself. The third is how to be, how to have empathy and learning empathy towards each other. That means understanding how another person feels, stepping into the mm. shoes of another person, which we a lot of people that are very selfish can't do, uh, or have a hard time doing. And and then there's a whole factor on understanding yourself. Um, so self awareness. So those, you know, four things, having positive self-esteem, understanding yourself, how to, deal, how to have a positive attitude, motivating yourself, and, of course, emphasizing empathy. Those four factors, which are the secrets, impact on the next four, which have to do with interpersonal skills, how to have effective communication, how to be a team player, and how to deal with conflict. And when you're younger, it's an interaction between discipline because your mom and your dad discipline you. And it, and it's a two-way street. You work together because we're talking about planning together. And then when you're older, it's self-discipline. And I would say that if you master those eight skills, it doesn't really matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic uh, background is, what your color is, what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what country you come from. If those eight secrets are mastered, and I talk about how to do that in the book too, if they are mastered, you're going to be successful and happy in your life. Example, you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You have everything you can possibly want materialistically, and you're shown a lot of love. But you know what? You're a, you're you're definitely don't care about other people so much. You're self-centered. 
you're not a good communicator, you don't like working as a team, you're not going to be that successful. But the next person that has a really good attitude, that works really hard, that's motivated to to do very well, and they feel good about themselves, and they have a good mentor, hopefully a parent or a caretaker that believes in them and enforces that, and they learn how to deal with conflict and problem solving because they're working on their own life plan and setting goals and achieving them, that person is going to be a lot happier and more successful. And that's the secret right there, right right there in a nutshell. Hmm. Wow. That's awesome. And, um, you know, who could who could dispute that? Well, the, there, there's so many things that are, we have, you know, sort of separated ourselves from as far as our looking at ourselves and setting goals for ourselves that will not bring about any sense of real um, accomplishment or peace in our lives. But those things will pretty much put us on that path. And, and I think that's that's huge. I think it's. I think there's a tremendous message in there, and I think that's why this um, this new publisher said, "Hey, there's a great message here. We need to get it out there." And I really believe that when I've worked with parents and they show their children, and I know this is really going to hit people in a way they're going to be like, "What? You got to respect <laughs> your children if you want them to respect you." It's yeah. very important. They're little people, and the teens, too. Do you know that uh, they interviewed me when my book first came out, and there was a teenager on. They wanted to have a testimonial. And she said, you know, what makes what makes it different that your mom's doing Dr. Sharon's plan? You know, every day you, you write goals, and you try to look at what your goals are, try to organize it, see how they work, work on all these different factors as a team. Like just like in the corporate world, what makes you feel different than the way your mom or your dad disciplined you before, for instance? And she turned around and she said, I feel like I'm being heard. And you know what? Mm. We all want to be heard. We right. all want to feel that we're being listened to. We don't want to be dictated to. And children are no different. So I'm very into empowering, enlightening, and educating because I really believe and you know what? It's, it, it, I really believe that if we, if we understand that children, and when I'm talking about very, you know, a proactive approach. I'm not talking about kids that are, have major difficulties. This may, you have, may have to tone this down. I'm not talking about kids that have, say, you know, ADHD, attention deficit, that they can't sit and focus. But you know what? Even with them, you can have them write down a couple of goals and, and, and make them accountable for that. Okay? They can also learn these factors. But if you have somebody that, you know, you have a defiant uh, personality disorder, like a child that really doesn't listen, you may have to seek help. Okay? This could be, a you know, obviously a starting ground. But, you know, if you see that your child is just not interested and invested in at all in their own plan or their own life plan, and they're really going downhill, and they're not, you know, best, they're not really meeting up to their standards. You may have to go seek professional help, but this is a very proactive way of looking at parenthood and in a cooperative way in believing in the child, believing that they can also be messengers and captains to their own ship. And, you know, when you do that, 
you really help them with decision making in the future. You you don't helicopter them, you know, what we call helicopter parenting where every decision a child is calling or a teenager, I see so many parents that the college student, they get a phone call every day, they can't make a decision about anything. Well, what mm. happened in that house? Why wasn't that child involved with any kind of decision making? They weren't. So they don't know how to problem solve. They don't know how to deal with conflict. They don't know how to deal with communicating. They call up mommy and daddy right away. Well, what? how do I handle this? What do I do? I'm not saying on tough situations that we don't, we shouldn't enforce that because sometimes they have difficult times. But I can tell you that if you involve your child in their own life plan, you will foster a child that has better self-esteem for sure be a good problem solver, and definitely know how to make good decisions. And those are qualities of leaders. We want our children to be leaders, don't we? Absolutely. Leaders of their own destiny, whatever that destiny is. But we want them to be leaders. Not everybody can be a leader in, you know, in, in the CEO of a company, but at least be a leader in their own life. At least understand their quest, where they want to go, and know how to get there. Yeah, and, and there's so many adults looking for the answers to that question even today. So that that's, absolutely, that's why yeah. that's why I wrote this book because you know I took all this material from the from the corporate world, from applied uh, applications of psychology in the business world, where we know it works and it's proven, and I brought it to leadership in the home. The difference is it's cloaked with love here, and it's so important because. I mean, how many times the biggest corporations like Google and Zappos, they're actually working right now on programs in the workplace on health and uh, balance in the home and work or mindfulness. Uh, the, the health of the employees is so important for productivity, for the establishment of, of the ability of to, for the company to be successful, that it, that why not to harness that information and and use it and and bring it to the home, you know, learning how to balance, learning how to uh, deal with problem solving in your life is so important. Learning how to um, uh, be mindful of what you're doing and how to do it, and, and not just being told what to do. And we're learning that in the corporate world. So why not teach our children at a very young age and then start incorporating it in the home? Absolutely. Couldn't agree yeah. more. And yeah. um, we've come to the part in our show where you should be giving your contact information. We're almost done. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Time flies <laughs> fast when you're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let people know how they can get your books, your websites, and all your contact information. Well, um, you can get my web. You can get my books on Amazon. dot com. Of course, the first book is New Parents for People Too: The Eight Secrets to Surviving Parenthood as an Individual and as a Couple. And the second book, which the new edition will be coming out, but this will be a limited edition, will be Children Are People Too, Unlocking the Eight Secrets to Family Happiness. You can go on my website, which is um, www.people2toounlimited.com. You can buy it directly on there. And um, if you buy directly on there, you'll get a, a signature copy. You also 
we'll um uh if you note that through the website you could also get a discount um for twenty percent off. And in addition to that, uh, if you would like to see the other things that I'm involved in, I have uh, my other website, which is drsharonb.com, and I'm going to be having a whole uh, brand of uh, stressless uh, lifestyle change products in for new parents, for uh, couples to bring intimacy, and also to keep people... Uh, covered from inside and out with wonderful hydration and uh, uh, beach fun day. Uh, These products are all built upon the idea that I listen to thousands of people in my practice, work with many, many people, and what I discovered is that people want easy fixes, so to say. They want things to be easier because we live in a complicated world. So these products called um, Products on the Go are, will be selected for certain populations, couples in particular, new parents, or new parents with um, for baby needs, and they'll be available coming in 2015 as well. And, of course, last but not least, I have an inspirational page on Facebook. So every day when you want to get up, if you like my page, you will have a quote sent to you, a spiritual quote, that is a wonderful quote to bring give me a pip, pick me up every day so that when you go out in your day not only do you feel better about your day but you everyone whose life you touch you'll be making a difference in their life because you feel better and i can't tell you how many people write to me and say i really needed to hear that sometimes we blog a little bit but mostly it's just a posting of a quote and i'm going to be coming up with a new program on youtube very shortly called get up get happy in 60 seconds and I'm going mm. to be doing a program so that everybody is going to be able to learn different ways to get up and get happy in all different areas of your life. And that's going to be coming very shortly. Wow. In 60 seconds. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> because everybody wants easy. But you know what? It'll be just little tips in different areas of your life love, parenting, uh, work. Whatever it is, and every day are going to be different tips, and that's going to be coming soon. Um, it'll be get up, get happy, or get happy tips, and that'll be coming soon. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to having a lot of exciting, wonderful things, not for me, but to help everybody in the world to bring happiness and joy and success in their lives. Well, Dr. Sharon, thank you so much. We really thank enjoyed you. having you. We have to have you come back again. So I would love to. Yeah, look for that phone call. It'll be coming. But it's been <laughs> I great would love to. getting to know you and um, hearing all about um, your books and um, your insights into um, family and children and just who, where we are today in today's world. But um, we have run out of time. <laughs> But thank you again, and we hope to talk with you real soon. Thank you so much, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm extremely grateful for that. Thank you, Michael and Donna. Well, special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Forderman. You've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson 
can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.